welcome into the Good Game Podcast. This is technically the second episode, but uh, the last one was a review. I think we're going to actually redo that, so this will be our the first episode. Um, and I kind of wanted to start off by introducing myself again. My name is Roger Baugh. Um, I am kind of the driving force behind this. I want to get more... Um, opportunities to talk about the games that I love and the games that I've been playing, share them all with you, um, build a community, um, and talk about what makes games great, uh, why I would recommend them potentially, and why I would not. So um, since it's the beginning of the year, um, I thought I would just start off by um, mentioning a couple things that I want to achieve in gaming this year. Uh, Number one is this podcast. Uh, I've been playing games for over 15 years. Uh, I started playing Risk with some friends and family, and that kind of grew into what has now been a long long time playing games in this hobby. Uh, One of the things that um, I love about gaming is that uh, it allows you to have interactions with people Uh, in ways that you wouldn't normally be able to uh, in your everyday life or in other types of recreation. Um, Whether that's strategizing against them, strategizing with them, um, opening up through silly games uh, that put you out of your comfort zone, um, different things that games do to put you in positions to come closer together and have meaningful experiences with people. Um, That's something that I want to try to throughout my life this coming year, um, but especially with gaming, um, having had the opportunity to share this hobby with uh, different people in my life, um, family, friends, my wife, um, that's just been one of the most rewarding things for me. Um, Another thing I want to do is, with my collection, I probably have about 75 games, give or take. Uh, I'd really like to go through and thin that down. Um, I have a couple more coming in. Uh, this year that I backed on Kickstarter in the past, uh, and I really want to get my collection down to just the games that I want to play. Um, There's a couple that I have that uh, are on my shelf of shame. I haven't played them yet, but I would like to get those played so I can make a verdict on whether or not I'd actually like to retain them. Um, So I'd say as far as gaming goes, uh, definitely uh, thinning down the collection to the games that are most meaningful to me that are worth keeping. and definitely being able to share more games with people uh, this through this podcast and through just playing more regularly. Um, and the last thing is uh, just a personal hobby. Uh, I've recently gotten into painting, and I have a couple ambitious projects. Uh, I've painted a good chunk of the core set of Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. Um, I've started on Rising Sun, which is a daunting task. There's 144 miniatures in that game. I think I've gotten like five done. Um, So just getting back into painting and getting some of these games painted would be awesome. So those are kind of my goals for this year, um, growing this podcast, getting my games painted and thinning down my collection. Um, So I wanted to kind of talk about some of the games in this episode that I've been playing recently, kind of my thoughts on them. Some Some of these games I've played a lot, some of them I haven't played too much of. Uh, but just kind of giving you guys a, kind of my feedback on some of these games. Um, first of all, uh, one of the games that I've been playing a lot recently has been uh, this game called Hadara. 
Uh, Hadara is a game that is, um, a lot of people compare it to like the weight of a Splendor, but with a little bit more depth. Um, Hadara plays in about 30 to 45 minutes. Um, I've played it with two players and four players. It's a two to five player game. Um, it has elements of uh, like some of these basic uh, lightweight slash medium weight games where um, essentially how it plays is um, each player has a faction or a, a um, civilization, I should say, and there's three rounds and each round has two two halves to it. Um, one of the first things that you do is as a as your civilization starts out you have five different colors of different types of things that your civilization needs whether that's culture, whether it's military, um, food, uh, money, and there's one kind of wild or fifth type of um, card that you can get that has uh, kind of a mixture of those things. And so it kind of reminds me a little bit of some elements of Seven Wonders combined with a like light civilization game. And so essentially what happens is um, at the beginning of the round, um, all the players will uh, be drafting from these five piles and you'll get to do one of each five piles. So maybe I'll start on green and then I'll go, which is uh, food. Then I'll go to yellow, which is money, then I'll go to red, which is military, then purple, which is kind of that miscellaneous pile that has a little bit of everything, and then I'll finish with blue. And so every player gets an opportunity to draft some of these cards, one card from each pile. Now when you get a card, you draw two, and you can either sell it or you can buy it. Now if you buy it, you gain the resources on there, which is permanent for your civilization. It bumps you up on these tracks and moves you closer to some of these uh, end game point scoring goals. If you sell it, you simply discard that card out of the game and gain a certain amount of money depending on which round you're playing. Um, so after that draft takes place, then basically you gain money and then you check to see if you've met objectives for culture, military, different things. Um, and after th that first phase, you actually go back and you can now, again, buy or sell a card from that's been discarded. Since everyone draws two cards, they can buy or sell one of them, and then the other one gets discarded. Well, that pile of discarded cards is now available for purchase. So now in turn order, you go around, and now if you really want some red, you can go buy red, uh, because there's no more, you're not confined to the drafting rotation of having one of each color, which is really cool. Um, I think uh, something that uh, I had disliked about Seven, Seven Wonders having played that game quite a bit um, is that the card drafting could be a little bit, um, I don't want to say unfair, but it could be a little bit uh, difficult to overcome some games where, let's say one person's going for purely science and they just happen to get all the cards uh, that they need right off the bat. Well, now they have a huge point multiplier and you really have no way of getting science. Um, and or maybe some of those purple cards in Seven Wonders that give you extra abilities or multipliers. Um, there's really no way to mitigate that. And in Hadara, I feel like it's quick enough that the game goes by really quickly and the strategy is deep enough that you can have great replayability with it. Um, but I also feel like the best part of this game is that the two 
phases. Phase one, where you have to draft, you have to go through each of the five colors, um, and you have an opportunity to get, you know, one of each of those five colors. And then the second half, where, okay, now I can go back and actually focus on what I want to, or maybe something I missed in that first draft. Um, and kind of like Seven Wonders, the three phases. There's there's these little decks of cards that you make for each color. Uh, they get progressively stronger and they cost more um, and they give you better bonuses. So overall, um, this has been a game that I really have enjoyed. Um, I did just get in the two expansions. Um, I think one's Monuments and Marketplaces and the other one is Leaders and something else like that. Uh, they were really cheap. Um, I think I got them on Carcassonne website. Um, but I have yet to play with those. I'll follow up once I have tried them. Um, but just with the base game, I've been pretty happy with it. Um, they even have what something that's nice is for your first game, uh, they recommend using some of the more basic cards. Those are actually marked on the cards. There's a little star on some cards that are deemed more advanced. So when you play your first game, it's really easy to set up and differentiate between that. Um, this game definitely has a place within my lightweight, uh, quicker games. Um, this one, Sorcerer City, Wingspan, um, those would be my three go-tos right now. Uh, I do like Splendor, um, but I feel like, personally, I've been moving a little bit more away from Splendor with some of these newer games. I think Hadara scratches that itch that Splendor does with a little bit more depth, um, and it plays just about as long. So if you are looking for a new, kind of lightweight family game, um, that you can play that has really good replayability, plays quickly, um, and has you know a couple expansion opportunities for not a lot of money. Uh, I would definitely rend recommend Hadara. That's H-A-D-A-R-A. -A -A. Um, and one of the ga other games I just mentioned that I have been enjoying is Sorcerer City. So Sorcerer City is a game that I backed on Kickstarter. Um, it is. Uh, a Druid City Games game. Um, it is essentially a a build quickly under crunch time Tetris type um, tile laying game. So essentially what happens is um, each player starts out the game you have a stack of tiles which is kind of like your deck and there's a timer and everyone one person will flip the timer and then all of a sudden everyone has to build out this little grid with these tiles as fast as they can, but also as efficiently as they can. And so um, everyone starts with a pretty basic deck that's slightly different. Um, and on these tiles, they are broken up into different colors. So there's uh, purple, green, red, and yellow. And some tiles have um, multiple colors on them that basically border the, each edge. Um, so you may have a tile that's half green, half red, or you know, has one of each color on each of the four sides. And then there's certain tiles that have a little scoring shield on there. And so what you want to do is set up these scoring shields based on the way that they score to get you points with these tiles. Um, and so some of them may be for every yellow one in a row, um, three or more gets you one yellow resource, which is money in this game. And so you're building and so early on, it's pretty easy, I think, to build out this little stack of tiles because there's, I think there's only like 12 of them or something like that. And so there's not a lot of um, 
complications with it. You may only have like four scoring tiles, and so as you run four or five of them, as you run through, you can get it done pretty easily. Well, once you've built out, everyone's built out their little uh, civilization, their little um, tile grid, as I guess you could call it. Um, everyone scores points, so you look at the grid, um, you gain resources for that round based on what you've been able to do with your tiles, and then you move into sort of a buying phase, upgrading phase, gaining rewards phase. Um, there's four different types of resources or ways you can score. Uh, the first one is points, which you always keep since those will be how you determine the winner at the end. Um, another one is your, um, it's the red one, I believe it's power. And so whoever has the most power will actually get to go first throughout the round as you buy things, as you gain things. Um, and so red is important, but sometimes you may not want to be the first person or maybe you don't even care about that at all. Um, yellow is your money. And so yellow only lasts for that round. So what you don't spend, you do lose. So getting a ton of yellow is useful, um, but you also want to make sure that you have enough buys or purchases to make, to use all of that efficiently. And then finally there's purple or blue. Um, and what that does is you actually get to, everyone has a little hand of cards uh, that has the yellow, red, and green resource on there. And you can actually turn that purple or blue into one of the other three. So everyone simultaneously plays one of those face down, you flip it over and simultaneously everyone sees what they're converting uh, their blue into. And that's really cool because um, there's a little bit of uh, an unpredictability there or strategy because you know maybe I have a lot of red but someone else does too and if they add their blue to it, they could leap me for the first spot um, or maybe someone needs a little bit more money, but they also want to get points. So where do I spend that? So I think that's a really cool way to um, kind of add an extra element to the game. Uh, they definitely didn't have to do that, but I think it really makes the game shine because there's an opportunity to combo and score those blues. And some of the tiles that you can buy later on in the game really, really get your blues up to a crazy amount. I've had games where I've had like 60 blue and I could turn it into whatever I wanted um, and so you know you're like oh I'll, I'll get points or do I get money and just fill up my deck with a bunch of awesome tiles um, so there's really a lot of strategy there with that particular use of the blue um, but essentially once you get your rewards um, for first second third and so on uh, you can now buy tiles and so there's a kind of a market you get to purchase certain tiles and add them to your deck and so each subsequent round, there's five total rounds, you're adding to your deck, you're buying more tiles, and those tiles actually become a lot of new ways to score, a lot of new tiles to use in scoring, you get some extra perks. So by the end, uh, it can be quite a, a challenge to get all your tiles out and be efficient because you may have a stack of tiles that's like 30 tiles, and now you have two minutes to get these 30 tiles out and uh, build an efficient or a um, highly point scoring grid, uh, but inevitably people are freaking out. People are, you know, trying to maybe they'll glance over and see their neighbors doing better than them, and so they hurry up. And once you place a tile, you can't move it or pick it up again. So, you know, eventually people start making mistakes, and it becomes really fun uh, to just try to build out a really efficient tile grid while staying within that time limit. 
Um, the last thing that you do is you, at the end of each round, you add a monster to your deck. And so monsters are sort of these bad abilities that come in. They're these tiles that are added to your deck and they have a monster on it and when you flip it, it will trigger something. Uh, sometimes you have to destroy one of your point scorers. You may have to return tiles to the deck. Um, you may not be able to play. Um, there's some skeletons that have like serrated edges on their tile and you can't place a tile on that serrated edge. So it may gunk up your city with these skeletons. So you, you're kind of forced to go in a different direction than you had originally planned. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So all in all, I think Sorcerer City is a pretty much a solid go-to game for not only playing with new players, but playing with experienced players. Um, it does play up to six players, which is awesome. Um, it's a really high player count, and I've played it with five is the max, and there really isn't a lot of downtime since the majority of the game is just, okay, everyone, ready, set, go, build your thing, everybody scores at the same time, um, and then once everybody's scored, it kind of just quickly goes through, okay, here's some bonuses. Um, there can be a little bit of delay with purchasing tiles compared to the rest of the game, but honestly, it's not that bad at all. Um, and you just do that for five rounds, and then at the end you count up your points and see who won. Um, really, really solid game. Beautiful production. Um, the insert is really nice, too. It keeps everything uh, organized neatly for you. Uh, definitely recommend this game. Um, as far as this one in Hadara, this one does take a little bit longer to play. Um, but between the two, I, I would say you can't go wrong with either. Um, Hadara is more... Um, I would say if you like to be able to strategize a little bit more and um, have, I guess, a more splendor type experience where you're, you know, you're building, you're kind of doing your own thing. It does matter what other people are doing, but you are a little bit more isolated. Um, Hadara is great uh, for that, but as far as uh, like purely just super fun game with uh, great components, artwork, um, kind of giving you a little bit more of a urgency in your game, I would definitely recommend Sorcerer City. I think it's one of the best games I've played in that light to medium weight game, um, and definitely one that I would teach someone new, um, and that they would probably nine times out of ten would enjoy it. Uh, so between Hadara and um, Sorcerer City, I'd say both those games are great. Definitely check them out. But if I had to choose between them, I would definitely pick Sorcerer City. Um, another game that I have been playing recently is Marvel Champions, the card game. Um, this is a game that came out uh, towards the end of last year from Fantasy Flight. Um, I do have all the expansions for it currently available, which includes Green Goblin, Miss Marvel, and Captain America. Um, this game is great. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's very easy to learn. Um, I've tried a couple other LCGs. Um, Arkham Horror uh, has been the one I've played the most. And I feel like there's a, I mean, Arkham Horror was fun. I played the first mission or two, um, but it was, it was kind of a lot to keep track of. It was a little bit fiddly for me, in my opinion. Um, and I, I mean, I'm okay with the Lovecraft theme, but it's not my favorite. Um, but Marvel Champions, I think, definitely replaces that for me from what I've played. Um, I know there's not as much uh, 
content out for it right now, but the fact that you can replay villains and missions with different heroes is awesome. Um, and it feels more like it was designed for that. Whereas with Arkham Horror, it felt more like, you know, play it once, move on. Um, or at least it was catered more to that kind of mindset. With Marvel Champions, I feel like it was designed with replayability in mind um, and being able to adjust the difficulty of the, the uh, villains that you fight uh, is really nice. Um, so in Marvel Champions, what is it? Well, basically it's a game, it's a deck. Uh, you have a deck, a pre-constructed deck that you can modify a little bit. Um, the game does come with some recommendations for what to how to construct your deck so it's balanced. Um, but really you can create it within the parameters of the deck construction however you want. Um, essentially there's one villain or scenario that you're playing. Um, and the scenario will tell you what you need to do to win um, and what the villain needs to do to win. And so there's three villains in the base game. You have uh, Rhino, who's kind of the intro, easier villain. Uh, then you have Claw, who's like your intermediate, and then Ultron, who's your advanced. Uh, now, I actually haven't played with Ultron yet, um, which is something that I need to do, uh, but I have played with in a group where every hero was used, and I've played Claw multiple times, I've played Rhino multiple times, and I actually have played um, the Green Goblin one as well. So definitely a, I have quite a few games under my belt, I'd say I've played at least 10 times now. Um, so the gameplay is pretty straightforward. You have a deck of cards. Um, each card has a resource value on it in your hero deck and then it has a cost as well. So every card can either be used as currency or can be purchased with the currency spent on other cards. So let's say I have a card that costs three, well then I would need to discard three of any resource and then I can activate that card. Um, you, have a, you have your hero card, which is your character, so uh, it has double-sided um, you and your alter ego on that card. So that's one of the coolest things about this game is that you actually play as not only Spider-Man, but Peter Parker. And there's things that Spider-Man can do, and there's things that Peter Parker can do, and there's things that they can't do, and vice versa. Um, and so you really have to be paying attention to you know, the villain, what he's doing, how he's going to affect you, where the state of the game is, uh, what you want to accomplish. Um, and since it's cooperative, what your team wants to accomplish, how you can assist them, how you can help them. Um, so it's definitely a very engaging game. Like you're on your turn, you're definitely looking around, seeing what you can do, uh, seeing how you can help other people set them up, um, and also looking how you can affect the villain and progress the game to the win condition and also prevent the villain from winning. Um, so with the, uh, deck, you know, maybe you're playing Spider-Man. Well, if you flip to the Spider-Man side, you can attack, you can defend, um, you can play a lot of your cool Spider-Man abilities, uh, but then the villain will start attacking you. Maybe you start taking damage and you're like, oh no, I need to recover. You can flip over to the Peter Parker side and kind of work on you know, a different aspect of the game while you heal up so you can flip back to Spider-Man and do more damage. Um, so that's just like one way you can play it. But um, the, your deck of cards basically consists of a a stack of cards specific to your character. So Spider-Man, you know, he has a stack of cards that are specific to Spider-Man. And then you have a couple basic cards that every deck has that are kind of 
some general cards that you can use. Um, they're pretty standard. They're just, you know, here you can throw something out that helps other people draw or helps other people, you know, get a free resource or things like that. Um, but since every deck has them, you're not as um, beholden to getting those cards out and they're not unique to your deck. Um, and then you have a third section of your deck, which is actually, um, I guess they're like an attribute. So you have leadership, you have protection, you have um, aggression, and so, uh, and you have justice. So those are the four. Um, so each hero, you can actually, this is where your deck building comes in, because you always have to use all those cards from your hero. Um, you have to use the basic cards, and then you get to actually choose which of these four attribute decks you want to mix in there. So Spider-Man naturally comes with justice, but you could swap justice for leadership and try to play them a different way, um, which adds a lot of replayability to the game. I think it's really cool to experiment with that, um, especially if you have two characters that the game recommends you use you know, leadership for or two, game, two characters that it recommends using aggression for. Um, you can't play both with the same deck. Like You can't do two aggression people because there's only one aggression deck. So you can only have one character playing one attribute at a time. And since the game can go up to four players, um, you're always going to have one of those four attributes in play. Um, so really building your deck out is awesome. Um, you have some flexibility there. You have to have, I think, at least 40 cards in your deck, but up to 60 is the max. Um, me, personally, I like having a thinner deck so I can get to the cards I want faster. Um, but you definitely have some maneuverability there with constructing your deck, playing it, and also playing, teching your deck against the villain or trying to combo it with your teammates. Um, and one thing that's really awesome about this game that I think makes it so fun is each hero's deck really does feel different and unique and thematic. Um, Iron Man is one of the strongest heroes in the game, but when you start... Um, Iron Man only draws one card per turn because he's so weak. Um, and he gets to draw an extra card per turn as his suit is built. So you really have to stay as Tony Stark early in the game and try to get those um, suit upgrades. Like you got to get your pulse blast arms and your helmet and your, um, your jets and all these things. And once you've built the suit, then you can flip over to the Iron Man side and start doing damage and being effective. But uh, early on, Iron Man is so weak or Tony, Iron Man so weak, uh, Tony Stark is really kind of limited there, and you kind of have to play him. Uh, so he has sort of a slow build uh, to get you to the point where you're actually effectively doing damage and actually being able to contribute. Um, Black Panther's pretty cool in that he has also some tech upgrades, kind of like Iron Man, but his are more, uh, he only has like four or five of them, and they're not as um, specific as Iron Man. His are mostly damage dealing, but Black Panther has like five upgrades that do five different things in the game. Um, and he has these cards in his deck called Wakanda Forever that when you play them, you get to activate all your upgrades. Um, and, so, and the last upgrade that you use in this chain, since if you have four of them, you get to use all four when you play Wakanda Forever, uh, the last one actually doubles usually what it would normally do. So it may say do two to damage to the villain, but if this is the last card you activate in your Wakanda Forever chain, do four damage. 
So Black Panthers are really cool in that you have these upgrades, um, and when you trigger them, you can always trigger whichever one you need the most last, and it will give you an extra benefit, which is really cool. Um, you also have Spider-Man, who is, he's got a lot of, he's very versatile, um, as you would expect Spider-Man to be. Um, he has a lot of different cool cards. Um, you have Captain Marvel, um, you have She-Hulk. Um, I really like She-Hulk. She's probably my favorite one that I've played. Um, she is a tank, and what you want to do with her is get a ton of damage on her. She has a high HP health points limit, and she has one attack card uh, that basically lets her do damage equal to the damage she has taken. So you really want to get her damage up and then keep her from dying, but keep it high enough so that when you play this damage card, you can do maximum damage, which is awesome. Um, so in the base game, you have Iron Man, you have Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, She-Hulk, and then the three villains are Ultron, um, Claw, and Rhino. Um, so basically what will happen is each hero takes a turn, they play all their cards um, until they you know, run out of cards in their hand or they don't want to play anymore. Um, you can upgrade your hero in some cases. You can play action cards, which are one-time use cards. Um, you can recruit um, sidekicks um, or allies that can come help you, um, and they stay in the game and they can do different things. Um, and then there's um, kind of permanent upgrade cards you can build that have ongoing effects you can use once per round. So there's a lot of variety in the deck. Um, once all the heroes have kind of done their turn, the villain will respond and progress the threat. Um, if the threat maxes out for this specific scenario, the villain wins. Um, the heroes need to kill the villain who has health based on the amount of players there are. Um, so just a really fun game, really fantastic game. Um, I've played it with a couple different groups of people. Um, for the most part, everyone's really enjoyed it. Um, and especially, I, I really like games where when they're cooperative, you can actually really help someone, uh, genuinely trying to help them. Um, if it's a competitive game, you know, sometimes it's hard to say, you know, here's the best move, if it, even though it doesn't help me. Um, but in Marvel Champions, since it's a cooperative game, um, having been able to play some of these heroes and kind of coach new players through that hero is really awesome. I think it makes it a lot better. Um, as far as the expansions go, um, Miss Marvel is pretty cool. Uh, she is definitely very diverse. That's kind of her strength is that she can... She dabbles a little bit in everything, um, which I would say is better on a larger team in general. Um, and then you have Captain America, who's just a tank. He has a shield. He can, you know, do tons of damage. He can defend. He can recruit a lot of Avenger allies and utilize them. So he's definitely a really strong hero. I think a lot of people would, you know, want to pick up Captain America. Miss Marvel's fine, but I would say definitely don't rush out and get her um, if you unless you feel like you really want to add some diversity to your pool of heroes to play with. Um, and then Green Goblin has two scenarios, actually. Uh, we played one of them, and it was really good. Um, one of the closest games we've played. Um, have yet to play the other one. Definitely want to try it. Uh, so between the second Green Goblin scenario and Ultron, that's something I definitely need to do. Um, one thing that maybe I'm not playing this game right or I'm missing something, but we've never lost. Um, and I've played, like I said, like 10 games, maybe 8 to 10 games. Um, and so I don't know if maybe 
the scenarios are, like I said, maybe I'm missing something or we're just playing really well. I don't know. Uh, but we've definitely, we've had a couple close calls, but we've never really lost. And so I think um, that's something I definitely wish that the game was more difficult. And we've even tried the difficulty increase um, kind of text you can do to the game to make it harder. And we still won. So definitely something I need to revisit. Um, I know Ultron is a beast. He is really crazy, really strong. So I'm hoping that, I kind of hope we lose just to see what it's like. Um, but yeah, so far, just really enjoyed it. It's a great game. Um, good co-op. Uh, definitely would recommend checking it out. And uh, Green Goblin, definitely a fun villain to try. Captain America, definitely a great hero. Miss Marvel's really fun too, but I would say out of the three, I'd probably recommend getting Goblin first, just because um, it gives you a little bit more diversity with your villains, because there's five heroes in the base game, three villains. Um, I think it's awesome to pick up more villains to give you more scenarios to play against. Um, and then after that, Captain America, and then probably Miss Marvel. Um, and I do know that there's the Wrecking Crew and Thor coming out soon. I think that's happening uh, either March or February, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I know Fantasy Flight's going to definitely be pumping out expansions and new characters and stuff like that for this game. So one really cool thing, if you'd like to buy everything and just fill up your collection, there's probably going to be a lot of content coming out for this game. But you also have the opportunity to sit back, buy the core set, and then see what comes out. Oh, maybe I like Thor. I'll pick him up. But no, I don't really need this other stuff. So you can really pick and choose and mix and match what you want to get. And they actually have some pretty cool articles on their website that kind of break down how each arrow plays, um, shows you some of the cards and like their main strengths. So you can get a pretty solid idea of how that hero is going to play and if that's something you actually want to jump into and try. So that is Marvel Champions. I uh, definitely recommend that one as well. Um, it plays in about... 45 minutes to an hour, hour and 15, depending on how many people you have playing, um, but definitely recommend it. Great game. Um, moving on, I just have a couple more to talk about. Uh, one game that I did recently get uh, is Atlantis Rising, and this is from Elf Creek Games. Um, first of all, the production quality of this game is outstanding. Like this game is gorgeous. Um, I got the I got the upgrades, the deluxe version, and the playmat. Uh, definitely recommend it if you can spare the extra money. Um, this game is a cooperative game where you are, it's, it's like a cooperative worker placement, which is pretty unique. I don't think I've played a cooperative worker placement before that I can remember. Um, but essentially you are all Atlantean um, people and you are just sitting in the middle of Atlantis while there's these six little peninsula things shooting off from the center of the city and Atlantis is flooding. So uh, time to hit the panic button and get a portal built to another world and uh, get out. So that's kind of the main premises of the game. Um, and so on your turn uh, you basically get to place out your workers um, into these different spots. Um, each peninsula has a little different uh, thing that you can get there. So some of them are for resources, some of them get you cards, some of them get you more workers. Uh, so there's definitely some good variety there. Um, 
getting more workers obviously helps you get more uh, get more things. Um, the library cards are awesome because they get you bonuses and abilities that you can use. Um, and then the other four have to do with resources or the exchanging of resources. Um, you also have a unique uh, ability for your your faction, I guess you could call it. Um, and those abilities, um, you can swap them out. There's enough that you can, you know, you have, I think there's like 15 of them or something like that. So you have a pretty good variety to pick from. Um, it plays up to six players. Um, it took us about 45 minutes to play it. And we just did the basic game. I've only played this once, but uh, my initial thought was, you know, I hope this game isn't just kind of a, like an actual, like a worker placement that's trying too hard to be cooperative or a cooperative game that's trying too hard to in, in, uh, include worker placement. And it actually does a fantastic job of both. Um, I think uh, each player has control to put their workers where they want. And there's definitely going to be some discussion about, okay, I'm going to go here. What are you going to do? Or uh, we need to really build this. Uh, what resources do you have? Okay, here's what I have. Okay, what do we need to get? Um, so it really does bring in a really awesome uh, cooperative mindset and definitely allows you to um, work together towards the objective. Um, but at the end of the day, you have a pretty good say in where you want to place your workers. Um, I have sometimes played games where I feel like quarterbacking or taking over the game and trying to make it... Uh, like do what you want to do and like everyone else listen to me because I know how to win. Uh, sometimes I fall victim to that, but I feel like this game had a pretty good um, setup to where that wasn't as big of a, a problem. And actually same thing in Marvel Champions for that matter. Like you really do have the liberty to do what you want, but you're still like, okay, how can I help the team? How can we make this work? Um, so in Atlantis Rising, uh, you'll place your workers out um, on the spaces that you want first. So that's the first thing you do. Now at the end of each peninsula, each peninsula has these little like puzzle piece type sections. And so at the very end, at the tip, you have you know the most efficient, the best um, version of that. So it may say, you know, roll a dice, and if you get a three or higher, you get a gold. And you're like, oh, awesome. And then the next one says, well, you can do the same thing, but now you have to get a four or higher. And then maybe a couple after that, it says, okay, now you have to get a five or higher. And then the closest one to the center says, okay, now you need to get a six. Um, and so you're looking at this and you're like, oh, well, I would just definitely go to the bottom one and get the best chance. Well, not so fast. Once you place all your workers, you have to flip cards for each player from this deck, um, which is basically the, you're gonna get crapped on deck. And that card may say, okay, now flip the, the furthermost tile in the gold section where you put your worker over and it's sunk. So now here comes the water, washes your worker away. You don't get to take that action because you don't actually take the actions until after these cards are flipped. So there's a really cool push your luck, um, risk reward type mechanic where uh, you can go to the end of the section and maybe it flips, maybe it doesn't, but if it does, you lose your worker, uh, you get your worker back, they're not out of the game, but you don't get to take that action. Um, so it definitely in, in invites a lot of very difficult choices because you're like, well, I want to really want to get this, it's awesome, but 
do I want to maybe risk going back a little further up up the peninsula to maybe maybe guarantee myself getting that, even though it might be a little bit harder. Um, so that's a fantastic aspect of the game. Um, definitely the stress of trying to decide, do I want to go for the low-hanging fruit that might not actually get a bit be picked, or do I want to go a little bit further up and potentially guarantee myself a chance, but I might cost me more resources or I might not even get anything in the first place. Um, definitely a really cool aspect of this game, and I think the worker placement works really well in it um, because you can there's certain spaces where multiple people can go, and there's even some spaces where it requires two people to go there. So it could be me and someone else, or both of my um, workers could go there. Um, so there's definitely a lot to think about and a lot of reasons to communicate and work with uh, your teammates to complete these objectives. Um, another thing in this game is that you're trying to build this portal gate to get out of here before everything goes six feet under. Um, the gate itself is comprised of nine uh, pieces. And so this is the overall objective of the game is to build these nine pieces and then finally build the actual like portal itself. Um, so in total, you're trying to build 10 things. And so when you look at these things, it has like a resource you need oh, two gold and two crystals and you can build this piece. Um, some of these pieces, these gate pieces have, they all have something on them. So uh, sometimes it's a one-time ability that says, oh, maybe you can unflood one of the flooded pieces on the board. Oh, you get to flip it back over, cool. Um, some of them are actually new worker placement spots where you can send your people um, to get bonuses, uh, which is also really awesome. So as you build this out, uh, there's certain things you may want to do first because it will give you more options as you play the game. Um, and there's some you may not want to build early because like if it says flip over on a flooded tile, then maybe you only have like two flooded at the time. You're like, well, I mean, we're not struggling that much yet. And so maybe we don't want to build that now. Um, so as you build out this portal, you're actually getting more places to put your workers um, and you're, you have these abilities that you can kind of strategize and use to your benefit uh, to really get this, uh, get the most out of it. Um, and so that's kind of the end game that you're working towards. So uh, like I said earlier, the first phase is you put out your workers, then you flip over these cards and see Okay, do we get sunk? What's happening to the board? Um, they're all bad. <laughs> they're all terrible. Um, there's one that's just nothing happens, which is the best card that you'll see in the game. Um, when that comes out, you're just like, whew. But uh, after that, your workers can then collect or you roll dice on some of them to collect uh, whatever resource was available. And then you have one last uh, section which is basically the anger of these Atlantean gods is rising and so as it moves up this track you're going to have to flip over um, these sections of the map more of them as the game progresses so that's also bad so you can have a, a good phase a bad phase a good phase and a bad phase and then you just go until either the entire city sinks or you build this gate and you get out so um, this game definitely uh, fits into like a a light, like medium weight game. Uh, I'd say it's like light, medium weight, and the cooperative nature of it makes it really easy to teach. Um, there's not a lot of 
um, complications with it. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, the fact that you're playing it cooperatively, uh, again, it's a nice way to help new players understand. Um, and really, I think it's a great way to teach worker placement to someone. Um, there's obviously games that are really light worker placement games. Um, but this game is nice because it you can cooperatively explain to them, okay, like this would be in our favor, you know, this is something you can do, what's your power do, oh great, here's where you shine. Um, and you can really build people up and you know, they can, everyone feels like they're contributing. Um, in our game, I never felt like anyone was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go do my own thing because I got this. But no, it's actually, okay, you know, I've got, you know, gold, but I don't have ore, or I have crystals, but I don't have this. Like, how can we get that together? And when you're building these uh, pieces of the gate, you can actually have multiple people go there and build it together. So it really does feel like you're cooperatively building this game, this portal, um, and it definitely encourages that aspect of the game. Definitely a really good cooperative game. Um, I do like Marvel Champions a lot, um, but it's a card game. It's very different than this game. But for a board game, for a like a light, lighter worker placement cooperative game, um, this one definitely is going to be staying in my collection. Um, I do like cooperative games to a point. Um, Probably the main ones that I like to play are now this, but Marvel Champions and then Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle-Earth. Um, those are games that I feel like... Uh, I really like cooperative games where it feels like you can actually do what you want to do um, and that you actually have control over what you're doing instead of just, okay, here's what needs to be done. Uh, let's just everyone fit into this little idea that we have that the game's making us do, um, which is something prevalent in a game like Pandemic for me. Like, I feel like Pandemic is basically, well, we need to remove cubes from this city and we need to, you know, go over here and cure this disease and someone needs to play these two cards. Okay, who wants to do what? Like, it's, it's, like, Pandemic's fun until you figure out how to play, how to beat the game and then I feel like it just becomes, like, a list of chores for me. Um, and don't get me wrong, Pandemic's a good game to start with, but I feel like that's a game that I've outgrown. Like, I've played it so much, I actually got rid of my copy, um, and it's, I feel like with these cooperative games that I like, um, like in Lord of the Rings and in Marvel, you have a character and you're doing things with that character that are unique to you. So I can't look over and say, oh, you're playing Legolas, like, you know, do these things, because I don't know how Legolas plays. I'm playing Gimli, or, or I'm playing Aragon, or, or Barabor. Um, same thing with Marvel Champions. It's like, oh, you know, I'm Spider-Man, I'm doing this. Like, hey, Iron Man, what have you got for me? Like, I don't know how Iron Man plays. Um, that's up to you to understand and, and add to the community of the group. Um, and I feel like that's something uh, definitely not uh, to that level with Atlantis Rising, but I feel like there is a certain amount of like, okay, here's what we need to do, but how do you want to contribute is a little bit more prevalent in this game than more of a chore list of like, well, we have to do this, like, who's going to do it? Okay, well, like, and that's one thing that I don't like about Pandemic as much anymore is just, it feels like every turn there's like a couple things you have to do, and if you don't do them, you're going to lose, 
And in Atlantis Rising, I felt like later in the game, that gets a little bit more tight with like, okay, well, we have one gate left, you know, it needs gold and crystals. Like, how do we get that? Like, that does show up at the very, very end. But throughout the whole game, it was like, I want to go get more workers. All right, have fun. Like, go do that. Like, oh, I want to get uh, some crystals just because I think that'll be useful in the future. All right, well, go do that. Like, everything you do is useful. Like, you're not doing anything that's like, oh, well, this would not be good now or we should do this later um, so that's definitely something that i really enjoyed about this game so um, i don't know if it's out in retail yet but definitely check it out atlantis rising from elf creek games and with that uh, there's i just wanted to touch on one more game that i've been playing a lot lately um, that i really enjoy it's definitely going to take a step up from these other games. They've all been pretty light to medium games. Um, two of them were cooperative. One of them wasn't. Um, but that is Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, or Holos, as I like to call it. Um, Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea is a 4X game, which is expand, exploit, exterminate, um, explore. And so it's a game that tries to allow you to do a lot of different things. Um, or have a lot of different options with how you want to play. Um, and this is actually a genre that I really like. Um, I backed the second edition of Eclipse, which is another famous 4X game, um, on Kickstarter like two years ago. And hopefully it's coming in March, but there's been a lot of delays with that project, so we'll see. But um, 4X games are something that are really interesting to me because I like the fact that you can go out and attack, you can explore, you can uh, grow your civilization, um, you can you know upgrade yourself and make yourself stronger. So there's a lot of different ways that you can go with it. And in Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, there's I have everything for the game. So there's uh, let's see, ten different factions that you can play with, and each faction plays very differently. So there's a lot of replayability here. Um, Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea is a game that I got. I I think it was like about a year ago um, and I had played it uh, a couple times before I moved to Florida I actually moved to Florida from Utah um, in September and it's a game that I've actually played a lot more recently and actually have been able to use some of the expansions and try some different factions so I feel like this is kind of that game you know where you're like okay there's this one or two games that we keep playing over and over again uh, for me that would be Hadara, Sorcerer City, Marvel Champions, and Heroes of Lander and Sea right now are the games that I've kind of been playing a lot of recently. Um, so Heroes of Lander and Sea is, you have this map, you have your faction, you start on a continent, and basically the game says, good luck, you know, here's your faction, here's what they're strong at, here's what they're weak at, here's how you play to their strengths, but ultimately, do what you want. Um, and this game is one of my favorite games um, of all time, for sure. It's up there, probably in my top 10. Um, now, I, I haven't played a lot of 4X games. Um, like I said, Eclipse is one of the, like, the two granddaddy 4X games. Uh, the second edition I have coming at some point, so that one will be added to my repertoire of games at some point. So I'll have to see how that compares with Holos, but... Um, as far as 4X games go, I just like, I love games that have different, um, 
paths to victory and different, like you feel like you can do what you want and it's a good strategy. Um, and my favorite game of all time is Vindication by Orange Nebula, which if you haven't uh, heard of that game, check out our first video where we reviewed that. Um, and I think we'll revisit it at some point, but uh, Vindication, one of my favorite things, I think that makes it my favorite game of all time is that you truly feel like it's a sandbox and the game says, well, go do whatever you want and what seems fun. And that is a good strategy. I love that. Um, and I don't get me wrong. I do like games where it's like, okay, you know, here's the end game, you know, go get points. And here's a couple ways you can do that. Um, I like that for sure, but I really like to explore in these kind of sandbox games with like Heroes of Land, Air and Sea and Vindication because um, there's so many different ways to play your faction and you usually, I've never been able to fully upgrade my faction and use everything in it. So uh, there's definitely a lot of replayability there with, um, okay, well I've played, you know, the orcs before, but I did this, maybe I'll try this, this game. And then also the fact that each player is playing a different faction. So maybe you played the orcs against the elves, but now it's the humans. So it's like, okay, well, what are the humans doing? Okay, what do I want to do in response to that? And how do I want to make them respond to me? So there's definitely a lot of different uh, ways to play each faction by itself and also in reaction to other factions. And um, so in Heroes of Lander and Sea, just to kind of explain how it plays, um, you have your faction, you have this board in front of you, and shout out to Gameland Games, the company that made this, is the faction board in front of you has pretty much all the information on it that you need to play the game. Um, the only thing that you don't have in front of you is essentially the combat information, like how combat works. Um, and the other thing is these little exploration tokens, what they do. But after a while, you kind of memorize them, and it, there's a pretty nice reference sheet that has each token, what it looks like, and how and you know what it does. So that's pretty easy to reference, not a problem at all. Um, and so here's a blender and see. Um, definitely something I think I want to do a specific review on. Um, but just to kind of cover it briefly, um, each person has two actions each round. You only have two actions. And so there's eight different actions you can take. Um, you have an option to move your units twice. So technically nine actions, but eight different unique actions. Um, and so this game, I think, really cuts down on downtime and increases player interaction and engagement with the actions and how they work, which I absolutely love about this game. And so what happens is um, you have four actions on one side of the board that are that can be followed by another player, and then you have five actions on the other side of the board which you can follow yourself. And, well, what am I talking about? So you can recruit units, you can build buildings or structures, you can research or slot spells for future use, or you can uh, tax and gain resources. So those four actions, if I choose to build, anyone else at the table can use one of their surf units to follow and place them on that action and also build at the same time. Um, so same thing goes for build, uh, recruiting, uh, researching, and uh, researching spells and taxing. So inevitably, what that does is, as you play, you know maybe you're like, oh, I really want to build, but I only have two actions. I really wanted to march and recruit as well. Oh, look, he just built. So now I can follow that, get my build done, 
and now I still have my two actions to spend on what I want. And maybe if you get lucky, the next person recruits, and you're like, oh, sweet, now I get an extra action. So turn order definitely plays a, a, a part in this. Um, you really have to think about, okay, you know, what, is, what does it look like she wants to do, or what does it look like he wants to do? Is there any way that I can, you know, maybe save that second action and not use it on recruiting in hopes that someone else does that for me? Um, so it's really cool that you get to actually potentially participate during someone else's turn in doing something that you want to do. Um, now you have to have enough serfs or serf units in your capital to be able to follow these actions. So you also want to get these guys out on the board and you want to be able to, you know, start harvesting resources and taking over territories and building, you know, towers and structures and your ships and recruiting heroes and all these things. Um, so there's definitely a lot of different things to think about in the game that makes you, you know, decide, well, do I want to use this for this thing or do I want to use it for that thing? Um, and I like that in games where certain things have multiple uses. Um, and the surf units in this game are kind of your jack of all trades. Like everything else is pretty much, well, it can either fight or if you have heroes, each hero has its own unique abilities available to that hero. Um, so depending on the heroes you play, you may do something different. But with the serfs, uh, you need them to build towers. You need them to harvest more efficiently. Uh, you need them to follow other people's actions and follow your own actions. Uh, the other five actions, you can basically take an action and then use a surf to do a second action on that side of the board. So you can march your units. You have two op two slots for that. You can sail your uh, water ship, or you can sail your airship, um, or you can cast a spell. So you can you can also like double up on your actions on your turn as well if you take the right ones. Um, and so throughout the game, you're trying to build up your capital. You're trying to you know complete certain things to get you points. Uh, I've played games where the person who attacked the most won, and I've played games where the person who attacked the most got last place. Or I've played games where the person who you know, took over the most territories and was the most diplomatic and defensive won. Or I've played games where the person who turtled up and tried to hold down their fort got last place because the game just went a different direction. So um, I definitely feel like this game has tons of replayability with how you can play it, the interaction of the factions, what you go for, um, how the game changes, how the board state changes. Um, it's fun playing with an odd number of players because you'll inevitably have one continent that's just open. And so everyone kind of wants to rush in and take that. But then again, you know, maybe someone rushes and leaves their continent open. And so you're like, well, I'll just come in the back door. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of different ways each game's developed and none of the games I've played have felt the same at all. Um, one interesting thing uh, about the game though is that some people may not like is there's four ways the game can end and one of them involves the destruction of someone else's capital city. Um, there's four endgame triggers and if any one of them happens then the next you finish out the current round and then the next round is the last round. So if someone's capital city is destroyed, that player is actually eliminated from the game um, and they don't get a score any of the points they've collected, which is unfortunate um, sometimes. Um, I think it's actually wor has worked pretty well in the games that I've played. Um, and I've actually nat realized a natural progression of playing this game as I've played it with the same people more and more. 
attacking and capital city hacking has basically become more prevalent. So when you first play, everyone there's hardly any combat because everyone's trying to figure out how to play and maybe I want to attack, but no, I think I'll just get more resources. And then, you know, by game four or five, it's like, okay, you're in first place. I'm just going to take out your capital city because, well, I'm not going to win anyway, so I might as well take you out. Um, so I have seen attacking become more prevalent. Um, and I think there's definitely once, like we had this swing of a learning curve where, like I said, early on our early games were, you know, everyone kind of just does their own thing and there's not a lot of butting heads. But as the game, the games that we've played progressed, um, Capital City attacking became a little bit more appealing. Um, and we actually had one game where basically we had four players, player A destroyed capital, player B's capital city and knocked them out. And then player C destroyed player A and knocked them out. And then player D killed player C and knocked them out. So it was basically just king of the hill, um, which was kind of funny. <laughs> That's never happened before since then. But uh, just the way that the game played out, it just kind of ended up being, well, points don't matter anymore. It's just last man standing, which I thought was really cool. Uh, it was really fun to kind of have a game where, oh, I'm just going to kill you, and then, well, you killed him, and now you're defenseless, so I'll just do the same, and everybody went around the table and did that. Um, but most of the games I've played, um, I've only had one game where actually I was killed, uh, my capital city was knocked out, but I didn't really mind too much because the next round was the last round, so it took them about 10 minutes to play that round before the game ended. Um, and I mean, I'm not really a person to get salty about something like that. So it was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, you got me. Like, you know, I'll get you next time type of thing. But the fact that the next round is the last round, it, even when that happens, I don't think you have to worry about, you know, someone feeling locked out if they get knocked out. And then all of a sudden, like, the game goes on for another hour. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to sit on my phone or do something else. So definitely not a not too big of a problem there for me, at least. Um but definitely a great game if you like to play around in the sandbox, have a lot of variety. Um, the base game comes with four factions, um, orcs, dwarves, elves, and humans. They're fine. Um, they're all very different. Um, second pack, the second expansion adds a fifth and sixth player element to it. Um, it adds four more factions. You've got lizard folk, you've got undead, you've got lionkin, and... Um, goblins, which I think add a lot of nice variety to the base game. Um, the three of the base factions kind of feel like they're just, like their basics of them are, like their unique powers are all just variations on each other, which is still fun. They, they play differently, but like, it'll be like, oh, you get an extra red resource if you're here for the dwarves, and you get an extra green resource if you're here for the elves, and you get an extra yellow resource if you're here for the humans. So it feels like the first three were kind of like, well, let's just make one base power set and then like tweak it slightly for these three. Um, which again, like I said, it's totally fine because as you level them up, um, they get very different. But with the, uh, the four other factions, they definitely have a... Uh, more unique feeling ability like power tree skill tree um, and then there's two other expansion two other factions you can get with the pestilence expansion uh, which is the merfolk and the bird folk now I actually really like the bird folk 
I'm a huge Baltimore Ravens fan, and I just like the Raven hero, so I like playing them. Um, they're definitely catered more to uh, air abilities, and the merfolk are obviously catered more to the water and sailing abilities. Um, the bird folk actually come with a floating continent, which literally sits right on your on your game board, but about eight inches off the table. So you have this really cool like uh, floating continent in the middle of the game, uh, which is awesome. Um, the the look of that is really cool. But um, as far as the factions go, I would say if you're just starting out, like you can definitely have fun with the base game. Um, if you want to have the five or six player uh, addition, uh, I would you have to get Order and Chaos, which is the second expansion. And I would say if you want just the full experience, um, you can't go wrong with Order and Chaos. Um, the Pestilence one, I would say, is the one that you could be give or take on. It adds the bird folk and the merfolk and like a couple extra things. Um, actually, the thing I one of the things that I like about it is it adds more spells and more exploration tokens, so you get more of a variety when you play. Um, uh, there's different things that you can run into and different experiences and events that can happen. Um, so that's definitely something that uh, adds a lot of nice variety. If you maybe you feel like the spells are getting a little stale or the uh, exploration tokens are getting a little predictable, um, and then. There's a couple mini expansions. Now this is something that I actually tried for the last time this weekend. Um, we tried the Nomads and the Mercenaries. Um, so the Nomads, so let me cover the Mercenaries first. The Mercenaries are heroes that can be recruited by anyone. And so the way it works is when you set up a game, uh, you would put, randomly draw one Nomad per, or one Mercenary, excuse me, for, per player and those are just communally available for purchase. Once you buy it, you get that hero and you get their ability. And if they're ever killed, they just go back to this pool of heroes and anyone can buy them. You could buy it again, someone else could get it. Um, and those mercenaries are pretty strong, like they're pretty cool. I think having played with them, I would not exclude them going forward with experienced players. That might be something that I would not add for a first time player, but um, having played it once at least, it's just, it's a really simple addition to the game where it's like, hey, here's the cost, here's what it can do, grab it if you want it. Um, and I did like that they all have different kind of abilities. I did notice like attacking was a pretty common theme with it, um, but there's a doppelganger which copies the ability of any hero you have, which is crazy. Um, there's one that lets you pull your surfs back um, after you take an action, if it's sitting in a specific space, um, there's one that harvests extra spaces and it moves over it. There's one that gets crazy attack bonuses if it attacks towers or capitals or other heroes. Um, so just a really cool way to add some variety to the game and give people an extra way to get bonuses in areas that they're focusing on. Um, so I definitely recommend the Mercenary expansions. I think there's three of them. Uh, the first two have four mercenaries and then the last one has two mercenaries um, I would say if it's in your budget just pick them all up like they I don't remember which ones in which pack but overall they're pretty pretty diverse um, and then the second expansion which I also really enjoyed was the nomads expansion 
Now the nomads can be played as a mercenary, and so you would just take three nomads and they become a mercenary and they can do some things. But I don't think I would ever use it that way because the nomads can be used as an NPC unit or just kind of like a an extra non non-played faction. So the way it works is the first player each round gets to take a nomad and put it anywhere on the board. So the first player gets to actually pick where the nomads will start. Now the nomads will go onto the board and their strength is equal to the number of nomads there are on the board. So the first nomad is going to be a strength of one. That's not too bad. You could go kill it pretty easily. But once you got a second one, they both become two, and then they all, and then the third one, they all become three, and there's ten nomads. So at one point, you can have 10, 10 attack nomads on the board, which is ridiculous. Um, and we actually played a game and used the mercenaries and the nomads. It was a two-player game with my brother-in-law. That third continent, we started the nomads there, and because none of us went over there very quickly, they just erupted, like they were just took over the whole thing. It was a nomad party over there, and they were pretty much, they took that continent out of the game until the very end, until we were strong enough to go in and start killing them. Um, but not only do they have high attack value as they multiply, they actually reduce the amount of resources each surrounding territory gets. Um, so when you're placing a nomad when you're the first player, it has to go next to an existing nomad, but it also can't go into a space with someone else's um, pieces. So if you have a place next to where the nomads are expanding, they can't go in and attack you, but they can seep up that land and like take away all the resources you would have gotten. So we had an entire continent that was basically overrun with nomads and didn't produce any resources for either of us. Uh, so we kind of had to attack each other because there wasn't anything else to do until we were strong enough. Um, so that was pretty funny. But I think I would definitely use the nomads in every game. Again, maybe wouldn't use it in the first game with new players, but once you have a large player count, um, like if you're playing like three or four, five, six, even seven players, I think the nomads add something to the game that is really valuable, which is an extra unpredictable thing that some everyone gets a little bit of control over, but that eventually you'll have to deal with them. Um, and if you kill a nomad, you capture it and you can use it as a surf, a one-time use surf, which is pretty cool. So there is some incentive to go after them, but I think the nomads add kind of a roaming NPC variability to the game, which uh, makes it, gives it a little bit more depth. Um, there is one more expansion to the game that I haven't used, which basically adds more uh, buildings that you can build. You can build like a, a catapult or a... Uh, crossbow or a siege engine or like a dragon ship and they all have different abilities i haven't played with that yet but i think we're going to do a review of this game at some point and go over everything um so i'll go over that stuff more in the future but uh, definitely as far as 4x games go uh, i really enjoy my experience with heroes of land air and sea and i'm really excited to try out eclipse when it gets here um so so Definitely recommend checking it out um, if that's something that sounds appealing to you. Um, so I think that is going to do it for today. Um, I'm going to try to put up another podcast within the next couple weeks uh, in February. Um, if there's any questions that you have, 
you can reach us at um, on our Instagram uh, at our email I'll put all that information in the uh, bio or the description for the episode um, if you're on YouTube feel free to like and subscribe if you're on um, any of the podcast networks feel free to give us a follow and subscribe appreciate it um, and if you have any questions or um, thoughts on any of these games or any just any questions in general uh, feel free to shoot them out and we'll try to start answering some of those as they come in on future podcast episodes um, but yeah uh, thanks for spending your time with us today and uh, for you know supporting the channel and hopefully it continues to grow and uh, hopefully I can continue to put out quality content so thanks for stopping by the good game podcast and have a wonderful day